Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Sit back, relax, and listen as we have a conversation about the mundane. One thing that we can promise is that our conversation will be less than fascinating so that you can feel free to just drift off. Thank you for joining us. We hope you will listen and sleep. I'm your host, Marco Timpano, and joining me in the studio today is Ron Peterson. Welcome to the Insomnia Project. Hello. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, Ron, I've seen you perform on stage and... I, I was wowed. I was wowed. I was wowed. Um, you were in the show, and I, you just mentioned it, and I can't remember the name the, of it. The, it was, yeah, right. That was Extinction Song. Fantastic. That play, yeah. And uh, you perform all over. Yeah. That's right. That's so right. if people want to find out more about you or where you're performing, they can look in our show notes. Oh, great. But I discovered that you're also a runner. Yeah. I, um, I, I've always sort of ran when I, I moved to Los Angeles years ago, and uh, that's sort of when... Um, I became a little bit more active uh, just by nature of living there mm-hmm. um, and going to the gym and being on television. And um, and I kept up the running, I suppose, and the, and the working out. And then about five years ago, I cut booze out of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, so that became – yeah, I had a lot more time on my hands. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, I started uh, running in earnest. I mean, I'm not insane about it. Right. It's just like – um, it's very addictive, and it's. Uh, I don't feel myself if I don't do it. Tell me about running in Los Angeles versus in other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, there's not a lot of street life in Los Angeles. It's hard to find a good spot. You kind of have to drive to where you want to run. Right. Um, that might be in the canyon or that sort of thing. But uh, honestly, I, I've come to really like running on a treadmill. Oh, which, I see. Because I like to see the numbers. I like to. Okay. I like to see the numbers, and I like to when I'm done. I like. I don't like to have to walk home. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like if I decide, okay, I'm only going to do three miles today instead of five, then I then uh, then I don't have to turn around and walk home after three. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Yeah, so you've yeah. done your walking, but or you're running, I should say. That's right. Uh, but you don't have to then return. That's right. And I and I just like to see the numbers, and I know there's apps for that sort mm-hmm. of thing, but I, it's just like comfort on the treadmill. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, I'm, and I'm, I, you know, I run about six miles, three or four times a week. That's, mm-hmm. And that's, but so that's like four hours out of my week. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned Los Angeles. Is there something that you remember about Los Angeles 
that you kind of miss. That you're like, you know, they used to do this in Los Angeles. <laughs> that they, that, I, that, and it can be something small and insignificant. Yeah, you know, the things that I miss most about Los Angeles mm. uh, are the restaurants. Actually, okay. yeah, yeah. I I can think of like whenever somebody asks me what's the best food I ate, I've mm. ever eaten, I can think of five particular places mm. in Los Angeles, particular meals, and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, I was just saying, uh, you know, there's a Korean barbecue that I really like mm-hmm. there. Um, it's like a charcoal barbecue, which you d- it's hard to find. I don't know what the legalities are on that because it's like a big uh, – you sit at a table with a pit in the middle. And right. usually in Toronto and that sort of thing, it's gas. They come by right. and turn the gas on and you have a little grill. This is like full-on charcoal yeah. um, that they, they fill the table with. So we used to leave our jackets in the car because you'd end up leaving and just reeking of, 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 of charcoal. Mm. Um there's something lovely about food cooked on charcoal. Yeah. Or over wood. Yeah, I don't know what it was about that particular food, but mm. I mean, it, the charcoal certainly, but I used to think they marinated it in heroin because you'd just be, <laughs> you'd just be thinking about it right. days later. Uh, my girlfriend at the time and I would go on a Monday, and by Wednesday, we're like, hmm, we could probably go again on Thursday, you know. How are you on long flights? I'm a bit of a nervous flyer. Oh, are you? I, I, you know what? I was. Mm-hmm. And I used to take an Ativan and just like chill right. out. But um, I also meditate. I started meditating okay. um, uh, back in Los Angeles. And then again, much like the running, it was something that was a tool that came into place after I quit drinking. Sure. And, uh, and, I, and I love it. I, I, it's a game changer for mm-hmm. me, the meditation. Um, is that a daily ritual you do? Yeah, as well? oh, I did. I, I, I took a workshop in LA years ago with a guy named Tom Knowles, K N O W L S, who's a really fine speaker about it. Mm-hmm. And um, so he, yeah, it's a workshop where you learn the technique, he gives you a little mantra, mm-hmm. and sends you on your way. And that's it. It's just a mantra based uh, meditation. I do 20 minutes in the morning. And 20 minutes in the evening. Oh, that's and wonderful. I've, and, you know, I learned it in Los Angeles and I used to sort of dabble here and there and I'd go for a month and then go, okay, that's enough. Now. Right. But um, in earnest for the last four years, I, I think I've only missed a couple of days here wow. and there and just a session. A day hasn't gone by where I haven't done it at least once. Wow. And, and sometimes I dabble with doing it for an hour, uh, just sitting and if you can get in with the mantra and you know chill out it's uh, do you have a particular spot where you do it or do you do it anywhere well the thing i remember the thing i remember him saying well it's tricky right because um um you never know where you're going to be at like five Mm -hmm. o'clock i try to do it before dinner and so it's often i've done it everywhere i've done it on a plane i've done Mm -hmm. it uh in a dressing room tom knowles said uh you know, there's always going to be a distraction, no matter mm. where you are. Even if you're in a quiet room like this, sure. you'll eventually hear the buzzing of the light or the, right. you know, the some sort of white noise. Maybe not so bad much in here. It's pretty nice in here. I could mm. meditate in here. Okay, um, but maybe uh, I should make this studio no meditation uh, meditation That's studio. Right. Get as some well. some incense going. Oh, I should. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember him saying, you know, if you can't meditate in a boiler room with mm-hmm. a loud, you know, you. You can't meditate anywhere, right? Because the point is just to allow everything. Sure. And uh, so, yeah. I, but usually, yeah, in the morning, I wake up, make the bed, and uh, just hit my couch. And there yeah. you go. Yeah. And off you go. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. You mentioning that reminded me of something that I sort of rediscovered recently, which is there's never a good time to do something, but 
just the art of doing or just the sort of motion of doing it whenever and letting it get out there right. is the important part. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I find with, you know, whenever I don't, I'm not evangelical about it. I'm not mm. converting anybody to mm. meditation. I believe in it. I think it could help everyone mm. um, with different aspects of everything. And um, um, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I, I don't push it, but I, I, I believe it's uh, a game changer. Yeah, for what sure. What else do you believe in? Hmm. That you, you're like, I believe in this and, and it works for me or I think it's a great thing. And it doesn't have to be anything yeah. like meditation or, or – Or religion or anything. Yeah. Well, you know, what comes to mind is this uh, – you know, this we were talking about meditation and this idea of allowing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's the Taoist – it's more of a philosophy, mm-hmm. I think, Taoism, which is um, a lot about um, – yeah, allowing and humility. It's there's a great book called the Tao Te Ching, which is essentially the 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 the, the script for the the Taoist philosophy, and um, it's a series of little uh, poems that have been translated over the years. and And originally, it was written um, by this guy named Lao Tzu, with this uh, written to people. People um, on how to govern, how to govern a country, right. quote unquote. Mm. But you are that country essentially, oh. and and so it's it's how to find balance mm. within yourself, and a lot of it has to do with allowing, and deep humility, and being like water, getting low underneath things, and and it's a it's a leadership thing as well. Like you to lead people, you you stand behind them, and and so this philosophy. Uh, also tapped into m- the philosophy of improvisation mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, allowing, making your partner look good, sure. um, listening, um, that sort of thing. So those, I really tapped into this this idea of the Taoist philosophy and practicing it is a really fascinating thing. How it, it also presence, you know, being very present, sure. right? Like getting out of your thought. Meditation is like how can you relinquish thought. And the Taoism is, okay, how, how much can you allow? And uh, both of them together are a lot about presence, about how can I just be here now? Cool, the way you also take a philosophy that is meant to govern and you bring it into your work life and your... Right, family. well, yeah, it was, it's almost parallel, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is like acting. It wasn't like, oh, I have to put this into, the, into mm-hmm. it or put improv into acting. It's just, it's, it reveals itself as all one thing. We were talking with Carrie <coughs> Griffin about improv in oh, our yeah. previous episodes. He's a marvelous improviser. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. One thing that is important or is, I forget the question I asked you, but is relevant to me is having a good cappuccino almost every day. Uh-huh. For me, that's that's if I have a good one, it sets my day really well. Yeah. Right. Sometimes I have to make it myself. But I've got what's interesting is I have all these little spots in the city that I know make great coffee. Right. And so uh, I was telling a friend recently, I was like, I was in Bolton, which is north, of, it's in Caledon, north of the city that we're in. And there's a spot there that just it just it it doesn't look like anything wrong. You'd be like, oh, it's a hot table. It doesn't, and they make the best cappuccinos. And I told a friend who we were doing a corporate <laughs> workshop up there, and I said, you really need to stop and go there. And I spoke to her just yesterday, and she was like, I think I might drive forty minutes to get a coffee there again <laughs> because it was so great. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's yeah. amazing how little things can really make make a difference in your in your daily yeah, life yeah. yeah that's like that korean barbecue it's mm-hmm. just like what's the point if i can't have that 
Yeah. Oh, it just made my stomach growl. <laughs> You're wearing glasses. Mm-hmm. What's important to you when you get glasses? And we haven't done an episode on glasses. Oh. Um, uh, you know, I used to wear these. I did a play, and then I was, I was like, they let me keep the, the glasses the years ago, before I even mm-hmm. needed glasses. They were like vanity sort of glasses sure. that I just liked wearing. I liked glasses. I liked mm-hmm. people who wore glasses, and uh, I thought it was a good look. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then one day, I picked up my friend Kathy's glasses. We were in a pub, and I picked them up, and I put on her glasses. And I suddenly could read all the labels oh. on the bottles behind the bar, and I could look across the street. And and so that was – and I was almost in tears. I was like, what have I been missing? <laughs> um, I guess that's how people realize they need glasses. Mm-hmm. By trying on Kathy's glasses. <laughs> yeah, <then. laughs> trying somebody else's on. Um, so after that, I mean, the important thing for glasses is that I could see, I mm-hmm. guess. But um, – no, I've always just bought the same kind of glasses, okay. actually, just black, horn-rimmed. Um, That's your particular style. Yeah, utilitarian sort of uh, classic look, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you get the um, non-reflective glasses? or, or uh, Yeah, I product? have. And actually, I just lost a pair of prescription sunglasses. Oh, no. Yeah, I cannot find them anywhere. I don't know what happened to them. So it's time to get a new pair. Hopefully, they'll turn up. Yeah, I'm not sure. What's important in sunglasses for you? Um, well, just the prescription, I just think. Just the prescription. Yeah. yeah. No, like I know some lenses are like mirrored and some are like, you know, like oh, the yeah, Ray-Bans right. are kind of just a tinge of green. Yeah, I don't know what that's, that's right. called. Yeah, right. They mm-hmm. do the green with the – yeah, that's mm-hmm. funny. Um, e- yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not up on the – I usually just go give me the – Give me the basics, you know. I find a, a lot of the character work that I do, if I wear glasses as that character, mm-hmm. the moment I put them on my face, it's almost like I'm wearing a mask of some sort where sure. it's like all of a sudden the character becomes alive with the glasses. I could have every other sort of thing on wardrobe-wise, makeup-wise, but it's the moment I put on the glasses where I'm like, all right. Yeah, you feel, right. feel different. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right. I remember I did this play before I wore glasses and – the director who did wear glasses mm-hmm. gave me a note that was like, um, Ron, nobody who really wears glasses touches their glasses that much. Oh, wow. I was taking them on and off sure. in every scene. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. And I was a bit, you know, humiliated by that note because I was <laughs> like, so I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to touch my glasses once. You watch this. And that ended up giving me another choice for that character, which sure. was pretty neat, actually. Like, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to move my hands. And it became, he became a bit more stiff in a funny way. And mm-hmm. it just, you just, again, just went with that choice and found where that went. And it became a whole other thing. But then eventually when I got glasses, I take them off and on <laughs> all the time. It's who I am. You sure. Know? It's not, so he, you know, the director never touched touched his own glasses, so he decides everybody else shouldn't. But but mine are constantly coming off and on. Yeah, Yeah. for our listeners, Ron's taken them off about 15 times <laughs> during this, this particular uh, episode. All right, so we talked about running. Mm-hmm. We talked about glasses. We talked about meditating. What's something that has carried you through since you were a child to today? That young Ron does, uh, or that present Ron yeah, does that that young Ron used to do. Well, you know, I'm doing these improv shows mm-hmm. uh, right now, every day, every night, mm-hmm. and uh, we're playing a lot of games, improv games. Mm-hmm. And I haven't played improv games in a long time. Actually, sure. I almost skipped that 
that part of improv. I mm-hmm. I'd never really played a lot of theater sports. The improv that I did the most was a long form. We improvised a soap opera. Sure. We'd improvise a two-hour play. We'd improvise a musical. That's kind of my jam. So we're playing these games, and it feels like a young person's world okay. right now. But it's also I'm surrounded by all these people who have managed to, and I think improvisers do this well, and I think comedians do it and actors do it and you can really do it in a healthy way and I think it can save your life is is hanging on to the inner child in yourself sure. your imagination mm-hmm. and, um, and and improv really does that for me I feel you know we're all we're all sort of disintegrated children in a way you know mm-hmm. as adults we've 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 almost like we've been stripped of the, some of those really natural curiosity sure. and that sort of thing and uh and so I, I would just say just that 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 sense of play um, and imagination um, has sustained sustained my sanity in a lot of ways. I think humor and but that sense of uh, that sense of play and and that sense of play feeds itself into everything I do. I think you know it's like sure. why the way I rehearse is very playful and um, and improv can't help but be playful. So. Right. There's something youthful about a person who keeps that sort of sense of play. You know, there's so much on television or in magazines or anywhere you go where it's like, use this cream, this eye cream, do this to keep this youthful <laughs> right, appearance. Right, right. But when you see, for me, a person who keeps their sense of play and their sense of youthfulness and, and, and curiosity, like you said, to me that really makes a person look younger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I find. Yeah, uh-huh. sure. I mean, yeah, I guess the people I'm working with are pretty youthful looking. Sure. They're certainly mature. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, but that's not to say anybody. I'm just joking. But, but do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, when I meet someone who has mm-hmm. that sort of curiosity or that sense of play mm-hmm. or that exuberance that you can see that they probably or one can see in children more than adults. Yeah. Um, they always seem twinkle, very youthful. Twinkle in the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was there a job that you, you know, when you're a kid and someone asks, what do you want to be when you grow up? When you were a kid, what was the answer you would give? Mine was fisherman. I always wanted to be oh, a yeah. fisherman. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, you know, I think I, I, I knew acting was my thing okay. pretty early. Wow. Like I would, I, I almost, I, I found a word for it when my neighbor, we would play in the backyard all the time, mm-hmm. act out movies in his backyard and he was sort of this braggart kid who was always sort of trying to be in charge of things and when he was sort of trying to be pushy about how we were playing you know you be you be Han Solo and you be C-3PO you know he'd got to get in the director's chair he said I know how to act Okay. And I, because I went to acting school. He's lying. Oh, right, right. right. He was lying. I'm, and the, his brother was like, when did you go to acting school? And it was like, <laughs> before you were born. And they're a year apart. And so it just didn't make any sense. But I remember that acting, actors, oh, it's, the, it's a job. I remember that notion coming into my head. Before that, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh. Because of Indiana Jones, though. But oh, because of a movie. Sure. Not because I was interested in history and excavation. But... <laughs> So eventually I realized, oh, wait a minute, I can just pretend to be an archaeologist and also pretend to be a spaceman sure. and a cowboy and a, and a fisherman if I wanted. So, right. so that, that opening up of I can be whatever I want, whenever I want, right. um, you know, it was pretty early. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I always wanted to be a fisherman and then I wanted to be a cartoonist. 
and okay. uh, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I, I, can you draw? Do you still draw? Mm, I can draw cartoony type things, and I can draw. What's interesting is I can draw undersea life really well. So if you tell me a fish, I could probably draw it really well because as a kid, I was I would watch all these sort of Jacques Cousteau-type shows or anything right, that right. dealt with under the water. Right. And so my wife is always impressed when we're watching something that I'm like, oh, that's a – and I'll name the fish. That's a sunfish. That's right, a, whatever right. it is, right? Or and when she's I draw, like, how do you know yeah. that? Or like I'll draw and I'm like uh, – she's like, oh, look, that's a great white. And I'm like, no, that's a mango shark. And I'll be like, the difference here is <laughs> – oh, wow. like, how do you know – you know when you have a an odd skill that oh, sure, people yeah. don't necessarily see and when they see it, they're yeah. like – how did that? Yeah, how did that happen? Yeah, I have an encyclopedic knowledge of things. I was oh. when I was in the third grade, I was told I had a photographic memory. Oh, so I memorize things really well, and if I'm interested in something, I'll remember those facts, and I'm really good at connecting. Sort of like I'd be good on Jeopardy, I think. Oh, you know man. what I mean? Except for the U.S. history, that always stumps me. But um, but I'm a pretty good trivia guy that way. So sometimes, like my friends will be like, how? How the heck do you know that? How do right. you remember that? How do you know that actor's name? How do you, you know, and just, I don't know. I just remember. <laughs> What's your favorite category? What category in Jeopardy would you excel? Well, I think music. But besides, besides film and TV. Okay, okay that's tricky. That that's tricky. I was going to say musical theater because okay. that's sort of my. Um, but if it wasn't that, uh, literature maybe. I okay. Think, yeah, I think I, I do pretty well at sort of – even if I haven't read a book, I, I sort of – because of the improv world, you you pick up on on tropes and sure. framing devices and you kind where of things come from. It. You learn yeah. a little bit about everything. Sure. And uh, you kind of get a, a great big reference pool, right? Yeah. So I sometimes I'll – it'll be like this book about this. You know, I'll go, oh, that's Anna Karenina even though I've never read it. I'll right. sort of know. Um, again, it's that sort of memory just like connectors that, I, I'm, that work for me. Sure. <laughs> sure. You mentioned musical theater. What is a – musical theater show that you think is highly underrated. Hmm. <laughs> I'm really being uh, Dan Rather today. I'm yeah, really I'm like gonna, just throwing yeah, a lot I'm of questions. I'm going to cry. <laughs> um, so in-depth. Um, <laughs> I think, you know what, there's a musical that I always almost say is my favorite. Okay. Because it's so brilliant in its invention. And I'm really obsessed with Stephen Sondheim mm-hmm. as an artist. It's sort of actually when I started to listen to his music and read about how he worked and how much he cares about lyrics, like I almost was like, I should be, that's, I want to be a lyricist. I almost oh, wow. thought of that at one point. I was like, and I did. I wrote songs and, and for, for a play in Edmonton and it was very difficult. But, um, but he wrote a musical called Pacific Overtures. Do you know that one? No, I don't. Yeah. So it's, it, he, he had had all these hits. So he could have done, he kind of had this, chance to do whatever the heck he wanted in the 70s. He had Company and Little Night Music and Follies and they won the Tonys and they were great big hits. And Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. And then he did this musical called Pacific Overtures which is about the westernization of Japan. Oh. And it's it's about Commodore Perry coming and the negotiations on, you know, so you learn all this history. But what's brilliant about the conception of the musical is that they decided as the theater, as the play went on, telling you the, how Jack Japan becomes modernized and westernized and invaded in a way, yeah. changed, that the, the styles of theater change. 
So it starts with kabuki, right? And it slowly starts to become Western. Women start to enter the play, and right. so it's a very. And then all the music that Stephen Sondheim wrote, he went and learned all these different Japanese scales and the different how to do it, you know, play music differently. And so the music becomes more Western wow. and modernized, and and the lyrics and every level of it is there's so much depth and thought and mm-hmm. care involved in it and you never see it nobody produces this yeah where did you see you I saw um, that in in Los Angeles when I was living there there was a Stephen Sondheim I think it might have been his 70th birth 75th birthday or something there was a celebration for him at the Museum of Television and so over the month, they played everything that had ever been on television that he had been a part of. You could oh. go and see a day of interviews or this production from Broadway that was taped for PBS. And then there was a production tape for Japanese television oh, wow. of the original Broadway production from the 70s. So it's quite nicely done. So I got to see the, got to see the production of it and then just became a little bit obsessed with like, wow, wow. like it's – no, it's so dense and interesting. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't think we'd have a Hamilton. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the subject matter, the challenge that he, you know, like it's it's nobody was doing that right at the time, and showing he always did that with every musical. Is like a musical could be this, it can right. be that, it can be, you know, it doesn't just have to be a square box. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. I'll have to remember Pacific. Yeah, check it out. Shows. It's a yeah. cool, cool show. It'd be nice if someone brought that to, yeah. to today's stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there you go. It's There's just a great big cast of Asian Americans. It's a great... Oh, that would be a great, great vehicle for... Great vehicle for all the talents well, in Toronto. Well, hopefully sir. from your lips, it'll end up <laughs> yeah, on stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, Ron, I want to thank you so much for doing our episode, The Insomnia uh, Project indeed. today. Thank you for having me. We certainly me. covered a lot of ground. Is there a role that you would want to play in a musical um, that you haven't, haven't hmm. done yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a good question. I mean, I would love to play Harold Hill in The Music Man. Okay. I think that's a, that's a pretty showy, fun role. That would mm-hmm. be a fun evening. Yeah, that's up there with my favorites as well. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I just read something about The Music Man, how it's a really funny... It's a far more funny musical than people that give it credit. Yeah. I think it was just... It was on TV or somebody was saying that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit dated now because mm-hmm. it's, you know, well, sure. it's a bit sexist and... Everything right. from the from the fifties is right. you know, um, they just did it at Stratford. They did a pretty cool production of that there. But uh, yeah, I think it's a what's cool about the Music Man. It's written by one guy. He mm-hmm. wrote the book, and the lyrics and the music. That's very rare. Right. That's very rare that you get all three of those happening. And so there's a real cohesion and and elegance to the thing. Um, it's yeah, it's one of my faves. The book is book is terrific and it is very funny. Oh yeah. As are you, <laughs> and uh, you are also very elegant and eloquent. So thank uh, you for being part of this. Uh, thank you. Today. Thanks for having me. As always, the Insomnia Project is produced by Drumcast Productions, and this episode was recorded in Toronto, Canada. If you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter at Listen and Sleep, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Public Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to uh, see you rate, review, and subscribe. Until the next time.